Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Hamza Sawar, who is the Global Insight Lead looking after infant nutrition within RB. RB being the leading consumer health, hygiene and home company, owning brands such as Clearasil, Dettol, Durex and Nurofen. Hamza has dedicated his career to strategic insight and brand experience, working with both agencies and directly for consumer goods manufacturers. In 2018, Hamza became a One Young World Ambassador and as Global Insight Leader at RB, Hamza works on topics ranging from air pollution protection to premature infant health. In his spare time, he drives social innovation, launching a wave of purpose-led initiatives at RB. You might call him a social entrepreneur, creating positive change from within. Hamza, welcome. First of all, could you tell us about your current role at RB? Sure. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for the opportunity. My current role. I'll I'll, I'll start by saying that I'm actually um, a dad of two, so that's probably my my main role in life. I have an eight eight year old son, Harris, and a three year old daughter called Sophia. You know, they've been hugely influential at kind of shaping my outlook on life. And you know, it never occurred to me how significantly they would alter my my worldview and the way that I look at the world around me. And in my professional life, you know, I work for RB Health, you know, otherwise known as Beckett Benkiza. For those who aren't as familiar, we make iconic brands like Dettol and Durex. Uh, and my role, the day job, as, it, as it's seen uh, for me at the moment, is the, is the global insight lead for our infant nutrition specialty categories. And this specifically means that I'm leading all the consumer insight work on our allergy category, where we have a global cow's milk allergy formula brand called Nutramagen, while also I'm the global head on our Enfamil premature infant portfolio products, which ranges from human milk fortifiers through to formulas. And my remit is to generate deep human and market understanding about the ecosystem in which we operate as brands. You know, that, and that's anything from understanding kind of neonatologist concerns around treating premature infants all the way through to getting a deeper lens into the mom's journey through the, through the neonatal intensive care unit. I'm very much the kind of the, cent- the fulcrum of the, of the team, in a sense. I'm supporting different functions in the organization, from marketing brand teams through to medical affairs, all the way through to the, our scientists in R&D. And it, it's an extremely purposeful portfolio of brands, and I think that's the reason I was really attracted to it. And it's, the objective, really, of the role is to, you know, to build strategy that not only enhances the value of the brand um, through, through insight, but also generates you know, positive long-term health outcomes for vulnerable children around the world. And that's really what, what I'm drawn to, and that's what really motivates and inspires me about, about working on this portfolio. I'm also, as you mentioned, um, a One Young World ambassador, and I attended the Hague Summit last year. And since then, you know, it, was a, it was a turning point for me in, in many ways, along with the birth of my, of my, of my second child. You know, I, I developed a social impact project, having returned from the Hague, you know, designed to reduce premature baby deaths in Indonesia and to help reduce stunting levels. You know, that, that meant working collaboratively with the team in Jakarta, where we ran a social innovation sprint, where we designed innovative solutions to tackle the root cause of why Indonesia is actually the fifth highest preterm country in, in the world. So it kind of gave me a different perspective and it really kind of 
gave me the opportunity to really think about the role of business in tackling social problems and, and health issues and using the scale of the company. And I'll, I'll come more to that later. I've also then been developing a concept called the Purpose Council with some extremely passionate fellow ambassadors. You know, and we're really trying to harness the power, the powerful voices of, of change makers around the organization in different pockets of the company. We've been to One Young World, have gone to a long-term volunteering program, and they're looking to drive change within the company. So one of our flagship initiatives has been about reverse mentoring with our C-suite. So we've had really supportive leadership who've been able to given us their time and embrace the concept with the, with the goal to enhance that connectivity between millennials in the organization and senior leadership. So we can talk about social issues and the role of business attacking them, along with cultural shifts that we're, that we're looking to see and all the other kind of elements of, of making a, a great place to work. So yeah, you can say that I've kind of got two, two kind of really different type of work, but almost connected by the same desire to, to, to do good, I would say. And Hamza, I mean, you're clearly very motivated by those sort of finding social solutions. But what motivates you to do that from within big business? I mean, I've, I've always been motivated to use my skills and intellect in some way to better the world around me. You know, that's been, that's been instilled for me, you know, when I, when I was a child with my mom. My mom's a, been a role model for me growing up. You know, she's, she's dedicated her life to teaching and helping children, you know, through, through the ages to get the best education they can and the best start in life. I think that kind of instilled a certain value and work ethic in me. And then it always, when I had children personally as well, I think it kind of flipped my lens a little bit in terms of, you know, my life almost faded into the background. And I, I looked and reevaluated my situation and where I was at in my life. And I think I began to think far more seriously about the world, the state of the world around me and the world that I'll be leaving for my children to, to inhabit. And then I think alongside that, with, with everything else, my experiences in, in, the, in the corporate world over the years, I've always trying to find the, the ability to try and change and drive a difference above and beyond the daily responsibility of, of driving value for the company. You know, I fundamentally believe that the capitalist system is broken, you know, widespread inequality. I think the UN SDGs kind of outlines the task ahead of us as a society, and we're clearly nowhere near where we need to be. I think the private sector has often been part of creating the problem, but I, and I firmly believe that big business is kind of waking up to the fact that you know it has to become part of the solution if we're going to make any meaningful difference to driving this change. So for me, I mean, this journey kind of began really even even in previous roles. Um, I think the first instance of where I kind of began to see an opportunity to drive more of a change was when I was working on Vanish, which is just a, a sustainable brand. But then as I was kind of the insight lead on, on, the, on the brand, I began to think, you know, surely there's a, there's a deeper meaning and purpose for why the brand exists. And is it just about removing stains from clothes or is it, has it got broader societal meaning? So one of the things that I was really I was passionate about and I, I researched quite thoroughly at the, t- at the time was this idea of Vanish standing against disposability of clothing and against the consumerist culture. So we've been able to develop a campaign around preventing clothes going to landfill, which I think it was, was it the beginning of a journey for the brand and it's still on that journey. But I think it was, a re- it was I kind of sensed that, hang on, there's, there's something a bit deeper here. That then, I then continued that in my career. I worked on air pollution, where we looked at preventative solutions for this, you know, the silent killer. And thinking, how can the business take a role within tackling air pollution in the sense for the company, it was very much developing a kind of socially-led innovation. Looking, looking at launching a new brand in Delhi, where we tried to create an ecosystem of products, ranging from masks, air purifiers, filters, and to really try and empower people to understand the air pollution around them. And I, I started to think there, hang on, there's, 
there's a greater role for the business. You know, it, it resulted in various partnerships with government, resulted in various partnerships with with stakeholder groups in India, media outlets, news channels, etc., to really try and raise awareness of, of the problem of pollution and how people could protect themselves. Those two experiences were, were critical, I think, in my in my development. And I think One Young World kind of came at the perfect time for me. And it kind of, you know, something just clicked when I when I was leaving. I remember very well, actually, my son was born two days before the event. So it was a turning point in, in many ways. I thought, okay, it gave me the sense of urgency and a kick to really begin to, to drive and think about. I'm in an organization that is over 40,000 people in, in the company. You know, you look at the scale of it, you know, we have brands that touch millions of lives every day. You know, we have cutting our cutting edge R&D facilities and medical expertise. The portfolio of brands are intrinsically linked to social issues and healthcare issues, being a healthcare company. Brands like Mortine, which are fighting malaria, Dettol, promoting kind of healthy hand-washing habits. So I thought, you know, at, at this point, I, I was at a crossroads and thinking, do I really try and leverage the scale and try and harness that capability of innovation? to try and make the difference? Or do I actually look outside and look elsewhere to drive the change? And in the end, you know, I have various discussions and really good, you know, with, with various mentors within the company, I realized that I was, I was in a really good sweet spot to try and use the business to drive that change. And the business has been really supportive of that. So I think there's, a, there's also, I think what's, what's very clear within the commercial world is that there's a, there's a huge upside for organizations who are looking to tackle social issues. I think the, the, the role and the old kind of dogma of CSR is kind of dead. I think it's, it's gone. I think it's no longer an, an activity that's happening in a, in a shady corner somewhere in the organization. I think now it's becoming a center point, a focal point, and it's becoming that driving force that is driving people, particularly my generation, who are really passionate about driving this change. So I ended up thinking, okay, how do I really begin to kind of use the scale and tap into that to try and make that difference? And that's been really my, my, my calling for the past year or so. Hamza, you are clearly an entrepreneur, creating social and commercial value from within your business. From your own first-hand experience, how can businesses grasp the opportunities entrepreneurs provide? I think the first thing is retention. You know, keep keep the entrepreneur and keep like-minded souls who are trying to make the difference in the organisation. I think, honestly, that's the most difficult thing companies face, to harness that passion and that enthusiasm and that desire to make a difference. You know, I think the need to keep them motivated and create the infrastructures and systems for them to flourish, you know, that is the number one. So how can you look at that person and, and think about what drives them, what motivates them? How can you create an infrastructure around that person to support their, not only their mental well-being, but also give them the opportunities, the space, the time to really go and make a change? And I think one of the things that I found incredibly helpful is the um, entrepreneurship ecosystem report that was published by, you know, Business Fights Poverty and, um, and the League of Entrepreneurs and various other institutions. And I think that that report was was really fundamental in shaping some of my thinking in developing the Purpose Council and other initiatives. You know, it, it pointed out four kind of components of a thriving ecosystem, which I, you know, I fundamentally believe in. The first being um, purpose. I think What's critical for businesses now is to ensure that these entrepreneurs and, and these, these people in the organizations become the burning advocates of that, of that purpose and they're able to spread the message and they become the torchbearers and you know, spread it like a positive virus and try to infect others in, in a sense. Now, that's one of the critical things. You know, often these people are the firm's biggest communication assets, whether they like it or not. I think that has to be a way to harness that 
Um, I think often what would happen, and I think Gibb um, in his in his brilliant book describes it very well in terms of this idea of a of a corporate immune system. You know, will reject anything that it's not familiar with. And I think entrepreneurs are something that, that often scare people. They're not really sure what to do with that with that person. They don't necessarily fit into a traditional role or, or a set or a particular way of working. And I think harnessing that that passion and that purpose is is one of the key things. And I think it's critical in driving change. I think the second thing would be power and empowering them and engaging them into decision-making forums in the company in, in some shape or form. I think we've seen various institutions who have really capitalized on, on this through employee representation. And often those employees are very passionate about making a difference. And you think the likes of Capita, who appointed two non-exec directors to the board, I think it's a great step forward. I think more and more, I think what's what's becoming critical is that entrepreneurs are kind of treated with care in a sense that we really look to them to try and import into the decision-making of the firm. So it's not only the, the work that's happening in the shadows and in the background and often at night, it's actually they are fundamental and the center point of shaping the organization that they want to be part of. And I think that comes back to this, this kind of winners take all mentality, which I think is a fantastic book by Anand Giriradas, who, who talks really extensively about the fact that it's all well and good for businesses to drive social impact and drive social change, but they really need to look, often though they're part of the problem in the first place, you need to really look introspectively about what the roles, what the procedures, you know, are we fully paying our tax? Are we, are we really acting with integrity, with sustainability, with ethics in our organization? And I think that shifting that balance of power within the company with allowing a seat at the table for the entrepreneur, I think is a critical part of ensuring they feel empowered, they feel engaged, they feel that like they're part of the decision-making forum of the company. And that will also ensure that it's not only about the external perspective, but they also look at the internal processes on a day-to-day basis to make the right decisions to ensure they're proud of where they work. The third one, I would say, is a pipeline. So I think if you, look at, if you look at the innovation pipeline in the traditional sense, it's always been about, you know, you've got a set group of individuals within the marketing team, innovation teams, the R&D, who are really driving innovation. They're thinking about the pipeline of the future. They're looking to develop the breakthrough innovation, as it, was, as it used to be called. And I think there is now an opportunity to really enable and facilitate a grassroots movement through innovation. So how can you empower the bottom rungs of the company and even other members of, of the institution who actually want to innovate and want to think socially, that social-led innovation? How can you empower them to take, become co-creators of your innovation funnel and your innovation process? I think that's really critical. How can you equip them with the skills? How can you free up the time, the space for them to think around that, those areas? And ultimately, how can you leverage the skills of an entrepreneur to really develop innovation that's really going to impact not only the company, so of course, business value is critical, but also the society in which they operate and which they have a great responsibility to. And the final one, the fourth point was, is around people, I think. I think it's really about trying to spend the time to focus and develop, develop that talent. I think often what happens is that Opportunity entrepreneurs are creating opportunities for, them, for themselves. They're developing at speed of light because they're involved in various different types of, of work streams. They have the, the capacity and the opportunities to be involved in things they would not normally get to be involved with in their day to day. So it's a transformational leadership experience on a, on a daily basis because you're engaging, you're interacting, you're, you're growing on a daily basis. So, how can the company really begin to use? begin to continue to further that talent? How can they give them the insights, the skills that they need to really go and express themselves in the company to then go and make a bigger impact in, in a broader sense? But they'd probably be the four kind of key things I think that companies need to do to, to embrace that. 
And as an insight lead and a One Young World ambassador, I can not ask you about the future. And um, what do you think are the kind of top trends that you see emerging for those younger generations coming through? I'd, I'd have to say that you know climate change is is at the forefront. You know, it's personally on my mind every day, and it has been for a number of years. But I think increasingly so in the last last year or so. I think there's a huge sense of urgency around around the climate and the world in which we're living in. And I think this is an existential threat that, you know, is the greatest threat through our existence, you know, the, um, you know, and having, having children, I think also kind of spurs that on for me personally, in terms of, you know, you know, I look at them and I think, you know, you know, what is the type of planet, you know, what will be the state of the planet in a few years time, in 10, 15 years time, when they're, when they're teens, and then they're looking to you know, develop their own, their lives. And, you know, where are they, where's, where are we going to be? You know, I think that's a very, you know, it's an existential feeling and it's, it's a feeling that is very direct and suddenly immediate. And I think with the IPC, uh, IPCC report, there's an acknowledgement as well that we, you know, we have 12 years to limit this climate change catastrophe. And I think that's now become extremely concerning. And I think there's almost like a, a, a shared responsibility, particularly amongst, amongst Gen Z and millennials, but also other, others who are, who are concerned. There's a, there's a shared responsibility now in terms of, okay, what are we going to do about this? It's no longer okay to, to kind of ignore it and put it on the back burner. It's, it's very much becoming a center point. It's, it's changing lifestyles. There's an adapt, adaptation of lifestyle. You know, we've seen you know, the rise of veganism you know, and a shift towards plant-based diets. I think that's you know, hugely, you know, speaking to friends and many one world ambassadors, that's and I personally significantly reduce the amount of meat that I'm eating. You know, the, agri- the role of the agriculture and the industry and the, the very concept of eating meat is now suddenly seems to be almost um, an act that is in some way contributing to the problem. So it's, it's trying to find ways to be part of a solution to the problem. You know, personally, I no longer, I used to drive to work. A couple of years ago, I, I consistently walk to work now. I've dropped it. I'm trying to move away public transport. It's everything within within your own means is becoming far more resonant and relevant. And if you look at plastic pollution, air pollution, you know, there are so many things. And I think finally now we're beginning to see a movement towards how can I act more responsibly? How can I personally, at an individual level, begin to you know, be the change that I want to see in the world? And I think that's very much reflected through some of these more existential threats, but also in a sense of your daily consumption habits, plastics, you know, significant reduction in plastics and things. And all these things are beginning to, I think, to realize. So I think that that's, that's very much the first point. I think the second thing is, for me, is, is, is mental health. I think there's a growing awareness and understanding of the impacts of mental health. I think this always on and connected culture, I think, is, is, is to blame. I think it, there's an understanding now. I think there's a, there's a positive and progressive discourse on the topic in the sense that as well as keeping physically fit and eating well, I think this definition of the self and the holistic self is becoming more and more ingrained, more of a concern. So it's about our emotional, psychological, and kind of social well-being, and you know how how are we feeling? You know, ultimately, how are we thinking about a topic, and how are we ultimately acting? I think we're beginning to see slowly but surely the taboo being busted as we're speaking openly about the pressures of modern life and its toll on the mind. And I think you know the shift in popular culture as well is has also been hugely important. You know. Airtime is being dedicated to topics that wouldn't normally be there. You know, I was recently watching various kind of documentaries around the series that the BBC have run, My Depression and Me with Alistair Campbell, you know, sportsmen like Danny Rose are talking actively about the topic. 
I think now, you know, particularly amongst youth, you know, where the screen addiction and the, the warped world of social media is kind of impacting the state of mind and the nation's state of mind. There's various charities like Young Minds who are making great progress in this space. But I think now there's this, at least there's a discussion on, you know, how do I manage day-to-day mental health, stress, anxiety, and also the more serious sides of, sides of the issues. I think burnout is a, is a major concern, particularly amongst ambassadors and, and people who are trying to make a change, the entrepreneurs in particular who are, who are really, I've personally faced this and various challenges along this front in terms of how do you, you know, stay sane in a world that's kind of going crazy around you? And you try and question, is it a system that's broken or is it actually me that is broken? And that, that kind of self-reflection is becoming more the norm. And I think there's far more awareness of, of how you're feeling about the world. You know, are you able to keep yourself on, on, on a steady path, keep yourself steady and mentally fresh and mentally right to go and drive that change? And I think that often takes a toll. So how can you become resilient around that? So I think one of the things that, you know, it's clear that the role of mindfulness meditation is growing, you know, yoga, et cetera. These, these activities are going to continue to grow. So I, I see that being um, something that my generation and also younger generations that will really cling to and need to get through the next few years, which I think, and also the digital detox, you know, for me personally, I think that's, I think it's critical. I think I find it personally very difficult to switch off, but I think the, the need to get away. And I think the need to disconnect to reconnect is often, you know, the way that I personally look at it. So how can we as a society actually look at screen time and use that in a way that kind of enhances our life rather than detracts from it. And sometimes it can be the the latter. So there are definitely two other things. And I think the final one, I think in my mind is, is definitely this kind of backlash and anti-consumerism backlash against the kind of the status quo in terms of where, you know, the idea of that we need lots of stuff is, is kind, of, kind of slowly dissipating and fading. The zero waste movement, the idea that brands and, and, and various other, particularly within you know, the fashion, beauty industries, you know, kind of selling the dream and selling these aspirations, I think that's suddenly beginning to be knocked on the head where there's a realization that we, there's no way we can sustain our lifestyles in the way that they are today. We just, we consume too much, we eat too much, we aren't necessarily reflecting on that. And I think there is a definite shift away, you know, through various kind of you know, groups that I'm part of as well. Like how can you, uh, how do we become more responsible around our consumption? So do we really need the latest and greatest uh, thing that's hit the runway? Or actually, can we begin to kind of think about clothing differently? Can we recycle? Can we reuse? Can we swap? You know, and I think that's another huge trend and movement that I see that will only continue to grow in the next, in the next few years. Three massively important ones, Hamza. Thank you very much for sharing them. And, and I think also the fact that you've shared some of the solutions and, and ways forward through them um, is vitally important. So my last question for today really is for those potential entrepreneurs coming through, those people who are sat in their businesses at the moment thinking, actually, you know what, I might have an innovative solution that could uh, solve social and en- environmental or problems and also provide commercial return. What might be your advice to that potential entrepreneur listening to this podcast? Well, the first thing I'd say is well done. And it's, it's often sometimes very easy to kind of forget the fact that it's actually a very difficult thing to do. I think unless you're sat in an organization and you've gone th- through this, it can be sometimes difficult to relate to that, that I, when you have this idea and you've got this burning passion to make that change, I think it should be commended. So the first thing is well done and continue on the path. The thing, there's a few things that I think I wanted to mention in terms of kind of guidance. I think the first thing is, and I've learned it 
<laughs> the hard way, I would say, is resilience. I think growing, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a bumpy road, you know, with various highs and lows. And I think there's a need to find that inner steel and grow thick skin to ride the waves. And I think it's really easier said than done. But I think it's critical to kind of find ways to, to become resilient and to continue to believe in the idea that you have and to really continue to think about the, the, bigger, the bigger aspect and the bigger cause that you're really fighting towards, towards getting to. So that inner sense, that inner resilience, that toughness that's required when you're going through meetings, often a lot of the time is spent trying to argue a case and building a provocative debate and engaging in those debates. I think you need to have the ability to kind of stand your ground, be resilient, be firm, but also be open to discussion and debate and co-creation. So I would say resilience is, I think, is, is super important. I think the second thing is, you know, find a mentor. And ideally, a network of believers at senior levels. You know, I've been hugely fortunate. Um, there's a particular shout out to um, Patty O'Hare, who works at RB, who's been you know, a cornerstone for much of the work that I've been doing in the last, last year or so. And I think, you know, she's given me the ability to, to think differently, to challenge the status quo. And I think having that mentor who's there, who, who really cares about you as a, at a human level and is willing to champion your corner, is willing to kind of you know, go out on a limb to support you, who's willing to really get behind your idea and really retain that sense and the essence of the idea to drive that bigger social impact. I think that is critical. And I think having ideally a network of those believers is, is ideal. So when, you, when you're coming to developing the idea, when you're coming to scaling, thinking about scaling that idea, I think you often need that internal support to really get the ideas through the gates and through the processes that are, that are inherent in most big organizations. I think Third one would be to pace yourself and phase the delivery of ideas. And it's actually, it's funny as um, Zahid, the founder of Business Fights Poverty, along with Vet, actually, he said this to me in an email. And I thought, you know, it's a very interesting way to, to look at it. I think often, personally, for me, it was always about, you know, I've got so many ideas, the ideas are kind of flowing. And I think sometimes you can, you can feel that you need to launch your ideas simultaneously all at the same time. And I think often creating a pipeline of your ideas and ensuring that you pace yourself so you can phase that delivery and create impact over a sustained period, I think is, 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 is important. I don't think it's something that should stop your passion to drive, drive change and drive, drive projects, but also think about how much you're going to take on and where can you flex and how can you kind of develop your thinking around that. It's, it's easier said than done because I think sometimes you feel as if you have this burning need and desire to go and drive that change. But I think having that phased delivery and that thinking, that thought process can really help to, to, to kind of ensure you have that impact over a period of time. I have a couple more. Um, as you can see, I've gone through a few things within, within this. I can share a few things. I think ruthlessly prioritizing, you know, focusing on what's really going to make a transformational impact is, is really important. I think there's one thing about phasing delivery of ideas, but there's another thing about are you sure that the idea that you're working on is going to drive a significant difference and impact? And I think that, that, thing, that thinking and having that criteria, a good friend of mine um, said to me the other day, you almost need your own balance, your own you know, mental check. You know, first thing, you know, is it going to be good for me and my family and the immediate world around me? And is it going to drive a significant transformational impact on someone's life? And though if you have those two kind of factors that you're really thinking through. I think that can really help to ensure that you're prioritizing and focusing on, on the bigger things and really focusing your time and energies and efforts on, on getting that over the line. The fifth one, 
is speak the language. I think you have to play the game and influence in your, in your own way. I think adapting your voice to cater for different audiences, I think is hugely important. I think much of the time will be spent on getting the idea of the line. So if you're speaking to um, someone, for example, in the HR department, you know, you, you were speaking that in, in their language and that, that makes sense to them, you know, and relating to their, their work streams and what they're trying to do in terms of developing talents, often the goals are the same. So it's about talent development. It's about kind of future leadership. You're talking to the, uh, more of a commercial, you know, hard-hearted commercial person. It's about innovation. It's about value creation. And it's always about adapting your message and tailoring your message to ensure that you're resonating with your audience. I think sometimes it can come across as that you're, that you're speaking truth to power and you're, you're all about the right thing without having the broader awareness of the, of, the, of the business and the world in which you're operating in. So I think having that sense of awareness and that ability to think on your feet and, and influence in, 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 in your own way, I think is important. And then the final one is the community who can help you at different moments on your journey. I think often it can be lonely because you're kind of, you know, you're leading from the front and you're, you're looking to drive change. And often you need that sense of community around you. I think that there are so many people willing to help. I think I've gradually found this and discovered this on the way. You know, the Business Fights Poverty Network, you know, the great event last week, we're kind of meeting people and, you know, just having a candid conversation at, at times is, is really important to kind of give you a reality check, but also to kind of steer you, give you a piece of advice. If you've got a big meeting coming up, you're looking for some guidance. They can also be you know, critical in terms of, you know, giving you a different perspective on a challenge that you might not have thought of. And the League of Entrepreneurs has been, is great, is great for that. So I'd, I'd really try and find that community who can really help you through the tough times, but also the times that are, the, the good times as well as you can share your successes. I think everyone's so friendly in this space and really want to help each other. So I think we should really try and embrace that. Well, Hamza, I can't thank you enough for your brilliant insight inspiration and advice today. Hamza Sawar, thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.